and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me tonight is Morgana. Tonight, we're going to be by ourselves, no guests tonight, just the two of us. And just we're going to talk the about two of us. Two of us. Uh, we're going to talk about something that we promised to talk about before, not that long ago. We're going to talk about one of our favorite authors. Who is one of our favorite authors, Morgana? Graham Joyce. Yes. 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 He is a British author. He's very well known in Great Britain and fairly well known in Europe. Not so much well known in the United States, which we think is a shame. And that's why we're doing this, this episode. Uh, also, we're doing this episode because the way he describes what we call the other um, non-human consciousness, magic, um, ghosts, good folk, all of that stuff, the way he writes about it is probably the closest to how we experience the other of any author ever, I, I think. I don't yeah. think there's very many other authors because Charles DeLint is good, but he's still way more fantastical. Charles Dillant gets flashy. Yeah, he's he's showy. His his books are showy, you're right. Even though he's writing urban fantasy, it's very showy, flashy. By the end. Urban fantasy. Yeah, by the end we've we've just jumped right over into classical fantasy, which um, is still literature. Awesome. No, nothing wrong with it. Um but the way that that Graham Joyce puts the fantastical elements in his work, I think the closest literary descriptor we could use is magical realism, but even so, it doesn't even read like that. At least not the way that I've read it. Not the way I've read the the South American and Mexican magical realism novels. Um, because in their way, they're also more overt than the way Joyce writes. Um, sadly, he... Um, he died back in 2014. Uh, so there's no more books coming, which is just terribly, terribly sad. But he did write over 10 novels and a big triple handful of, of uh, short stories. And he wrote uh, quite a few uh, young adult novels too. So there, there, and there's all of... Every one of them I've read is good. I may yes. not like some of them as much, but they're all good. And there we're only going to talk about bad. four. Yes, because, because those are the four that we've both read most often. Like some of his books are like my comfort books. Yes. And so, yeah, when I'm feeling down, I'll read the, the last of his novels that we're going to talk about is – a comfort book probably is it for both of us yes okay because That's it, good it reminds know. me of my family yeah <laughs> if we yeah. lived in in english if we lived in coventry during and after world war ii <laughs> yeah yeah that's another thing about um graham joyce he was born and raised and lived in the midlands of the uk um he lived in leicester <laughs> There, there is the fearsome hound over at Morgana's house. 
His name's Scotty. Um, anyway, he lived in the Midlands, which interestingly is where my mother's father's family was from. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. I kind of feel like he's, he's a homeboy. Um, but all of his books that, that we're going to talk about today are set in some part of the Midlands area, usually in a city or in a smaller sort of village that's just outside of a city. Yes. And uh, he's, he won quite a few awards for his work. Um, he won the World Fantasy uh, Award several times, the O. Henry Award, um, and he even won a, a French Fantasy Award for uh, The Facts of Life for Best um, Foreign Language Book, which, hey, if the French are going to give a, uh, a prize to an English person, well, then that must mean that that book is just way cool good because they have sibling rivalry, those two countries. They just do. <laughs> <laughs> they just do. History, if you read English history or French history, it's constantly those two. They just had issues. They had issues with each other. That's what happens when you keep marrying each other's ex-wives. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and crossing that little English channel to fight with each other or invade each other or whatever it is that that particular monarch felt the need to do. And then you have a Hundred Years' War and all that. Oh, yes. So. But, yeah. Um, oh, also another thing I want to say. All of his female characters are very well written. They they are real people, essentially. Yeah. Like yeah. I, when I read any of his books, the people in it, it's like he knew them, and he's just mm. writing about people he already knows, and that they exist somewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're extremely realistic, and they have perfectly normal you know feelings and motivations and body types and he i love jim butcher and the dresden files but he goes on at length about boobs too much oh my god and there are no boob at lengths there's (laughs) sex that's discussed but it's it's much more sensible it's earthy and realistic in a way that that I think is is unusual in a in a fantasy novel, and and even so, like I said, th- these are fantasy novels, but they're not really urban fantasy novels. They're, they're kind of like folk. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of like folk horror, but they're not all horrifying. It's not. They're moody. They 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 have a a very distinct mood to them and a very distinct feeling to them and again like i said his female characters in particular for a male writer are amazing i really not all men can write female characters that you believe are real women walking around somewhere in the world um and he does a great job of it um it's almost like he was channeling them 
all of his characters. His male characters are great too. But it was like he was channeling them from like another realm and was just writing down what they said in his ear, you know, kind of like what Alice Walker said she did with the color purple. Yeah. That she felt like she was channeling her characters in that story. Um, and yeah, he's, he's just as such a good writer or was such a good writer. Um, is there anything ab- about the other we should like talk about in sp- sort of general before we get to I like, think so I was about to say so how does this really good author write the other and we've said you know it's very subtle um, and it is and I think if you have ever experienced something strange maybe it's been one big thing and then that's it or maybe it's been a series of small things and that's it. But if you are unlucky enough to be somebody who constantly lives with strangeness, Graham Joyce does a great job of portraying sort of the background radiation of living a life when you see stuff that other people don't think is real. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, some people would say uh, that people who are like that are lucky. And and I can see both sides of that issue. Sitting in, in the the place where I sit, doing the things that I do, seeing the things that I see, sometimes it is a, a blessing, and then other times it's a curse. So... He kind of gets that and really portrays both sides of the issue. Um, and but, how it you know, isn't always in your face. Yeah, it's not. Because it's not. a lot like, of times it's a very subtle thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have to pay attention to the way he writes. And, and you'll think that you're just reading a normal book, like a normal, realistic literary fiction book and then 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 the little thread of weirdness comes wiggling up and through the words and there it is and it's just really really good i'm gonna say that over and over it's really good it is exceedingly (laughs) good um and he writes about all kinds of strangeness there's a doppelganger in one book yeah that is a classic doppelganger um, yep. There are ghosts, there are fairies, there are mm-hmm. witches and wise women and seances and ritual and all kinds of, and second sight. Yeah. And there's just this wonderful blending of all of that in a way that it is unassuming Mm-hmm. And when it happens, you see it very clearly, but you're always left with like a feeling of, okay, I believe this character in this moment that this is happening to them. But when you finish the book, you start going, but did it? Yeah. Or somewhere else in the book as you're going along, then another character starts making you question, wait, wait, did that really happen? 
Or did it happen differently? Or what happened? It's not like the narrators are all unreliable. That isn't actually it. It's that some people see one thing and other people see another thing. Yeah. Which with the other is pretty much reality. That, you know, you don't always see the same thing or experience the same thing together. Yeah. Um, so is there anything else you want to say in general about his writing or um i think that he has some general themes that run Uh, through most of his books um one of his themes is there's this struggle between the old and the new and that creates tension and mm-hmm. he doesn't come down on the side of the old is better or the new is better. He's just like, hey, look, there's tension here. What what stories can I tell about that tension between the old and the new? Um, right. Life and death are also oh, yeah. a massive part of mm-hmm. his stories. Um, and not in a... Not in like a really forced kind of way I guess like some themes like some people when they write about life and death they like beat you over the head with this person died and it's awful or make death because the reality of death is there everything is very cynical right it's a very organic and realistic handling of how people handle life and death and how it's an organic process and it's part of a cycle. And right. the cyclical nature is a part of his books. And women are a huge part of his books. Yes. Again, his main characters tend to be women, at least in the four that we're going to talk about. Um, now, the, the first one we're going to talk about has dual main characters. There's, there's a woman and then a man. Um, they're siblings. So that one is a little bit different, but then the story itself hinges on what happens with the woman. So again, she may not be the, the central character all the time, but she is the driver of the story. And so, yeah, he, he has a reverence for females as part of nature, as part of the cycle of birth, death and rebirth. Um, and his authority figures in his books, in these four at least, are mostly women. And I, I, I wonder if he came from a, a family that had lots of women in it who were very strong because he, does, he just writes them that way. And again, they feel like real people. They sound like real people. They act like real people. Yeah. And his his male characters are also extremely realistic. Mm-hmm. And he writes with such gentle understanding of human nature. Really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And and he writes with understanding of nature nature. Yes. Of, you know, all of nature. And he he writes with themes of old folk belief and neo-pagan belief and old pagan belief 
all mixed together and churned together and it it works you know there's a lot of a lot of novels where they'll portray neo-pagans and as someone who's been a neo-pagan for mm, mm, 41 years now um sometimes they make neo-pagans out to be the hero and we're always right and we always do all the right things and that's just not true nobody is always right and always does the right things but his his characters if they have to do with the neo-pagan culture make mistakes just like everybody else Mm -hmm. they 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 have things where, you know, you're reading it and you kind of go, ah, I think that's a bad idea and maybe you shouldn't. Oh, well, you're going to do it anyway because if you didn't, it wouldn't be a great story. Okay. You know, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't do it that way. Okay, you're going to. Yeah. Right. Um, and another um, of his themes is mental illness. Yes. And how it pertains to the other and how the other sometimes looks like mental illness. And sometimes and, mental illness probably looks like the other, but you're also not always sure. Right. Which I deeply appreciate because I am nuts. <laughs> no, you're not. You have a disorder. <laughs> I know I know it makes you feel nuts, but um, there's a difference. But I also have experienced strange things and one of the ways I know that I've experienced strange things is I still see them after the antipsychotics kicked in so it can't just be my brain hopefully yeah. maybe and you've been around with other people who I, see yes, the same thing that is really and what helps is that I've had yes. I've been witness to things with other witnesses with me which yeah. is a lifeline to me not thinking I've just gone completely around the bend. Um, yeah. But I do really appreciate that he talks about, you know, mental illness and the other and what's magic and what's madness. And can you tell? Do you need to tell? Mm-hmm. Does it matter? Just... Right. In the long run. And Why? Right. So okay, what's the first book we're going to talk about? Before okay, we're we, going to talk we keep about going because we'll just ramble. I know, we could, we could. Um, the first one we're going to talk about is, I think, the only of his novels that is fairly well known in the United States, and it was one of his last novels, if not the last one, and it's called Some Kind of Fairy Tale, and it came out in. Twenty fourteen, I think, or twenty twelve. I can't remember. Uh it came out in twenty twelve. I wrote it down in a different place, so there we go. Um and he died in twenty fourteen. So it would be among his later books. And this is an interesting story. It it delves into the changeling mythology or the changeling story of British folklore. And the way that it does it is it opens up at Christmas time in an older couple's house and they've just sat down to eat. They've carved the goose and, you know, there's a knock at the door and 
the man goes to the door and his wife hears a girl's voice and she comes to the door as well. And there's a young woman who looks to be maybe 20 standing in front of them. And he says, what can I do for you? And she said, I'm home, dad. And mom faints away. Now, I am not giving you spoilers here. You can go to Amazon and that's right there on the on the book page right there to to kind of get you pulled into the idea of the story. It's beautifully written. So, you know, go look it up on Amazon and read the at the very first chapter. It's right there. And it will grab you because what you understand is that 20 years ago a 15 or 16 year old girl who was the daughter of this couple that you've you know sat down to christmas dinner with disappeared in a bluebell wood near their house in the midlands um it's set in in leicestershire so she disappears they find her bicycle leaned against a tree in a bluebell wood, which in England, the bluebells are like um, wild hyacinths. That's what they are. And they're And gorgeous. they smell amazing. And they are absolutely gorgeous. And they grow so thick, they just carpet the woodlands. And they're sacred to what? The fairies. fairies. Yeah. And so she disappeared there. And the whole town went out looking for her, her parents, her brother Peter, who was a little bit older than her. Um, they all went out looking for her. Her boyfriend went out looking for her. The police decide that the boyfriend probably had to do with it because, as we know, the first person you look at when someone disappears is a spouse or romantic partner because that's that's often what happens so um they take him in and question him over and over and over and his life ends up being ruined um and her family's life ends up to be ruined but then she comes back and the story is pretty much what happens when someone goes missing and then returns but they haven't aged and they actually have her medically checked out by a doctor, and she hasn't aged. And so they ask her where she's been, and she tells them, and they didn't like the answer. So they get a psychiatrist for her. And so the story's told from her perspective, talking with the psychiatrist, but it's also told from her brother Peter's perspective. Her name is Tara, and his name is Peter. And he has a wife and several children. And he kind of, you know, his best friend was Tara's boyfriend who, you know, his life was completely ruined. So it's, it's Peter trying to figure out, is she telling the truth? And he goes back and forth. And his mother and father will not listen to maybe she's telling the truth at all. They, they are very much, no, something happened and she's traumatized and she's blocked it out. And the psychiatrist for a while is, oh, she's traumatized and she blocked it out and all of that. But the story 
is the tension between is it real? Is it a trauma? Uh, is it is it a is it a cover for trauma? Is is she dissociative? What happened, and why is it that she doesn't look any older? Yeah, than she was. Which what is, is happening there? That's what I like about Graham Joyce is when he does want you to go. No, there's magic. He like puts a plot. He puts a hook into it. He's mm-hmm. just like, no, she hasn't aged. So as much as we're going to play with the concept while I write this book and while you hear my story, you've got to remember that she hasn't aged. Yes. Yes. So there's something to it, which is, to me, how I see the other is Mm -hmm. you can go, is this co-creation? Is this my mind playing tricks? Is this you know is bigfoot physical or a fantasy or a a phantom or both or neither it doesn't matter there's still there's going to be some piece of something you've seen or you've experienced or you've found that you can't fully dismiss yes that is that is part of why this comes across as so realistic and so amazingly um it's just full of of spiritual juice in a way yeah that that a lot of retellings of the changeling story aren't it has a very modern very realistic way of telling the story without us knowing whether she's telling the truth and what she remembers is the truth or that it's something else. We yeah. just don't know. There and and as he goes along, I'm not going to go any farther than this. Um cuz I don't want to spoil it. As he goes along, there there are little bits and pieces of clues and the story of Michael and Bridget Cleary is brought into it and woven into the story. And it's just really, really fascinating the way he retells it as, you know, he could have he could have gone and made it all. Well, she was actually kidnapped by a cult and they dragged her away and gave her drugs. And, you know, he could have he could have gone that route and it and people would have been like, oh, this is terrible, you know, and it would have gone into that kind of. Oh, don't you feel bad for her because she just doesn't remember what happened. She only remembers this fantasy and the the psychologist could break through her mental barriers and find out the t- terrible, awful truth. But he doesn't do that. That would be so much easier if he did that. Nor does he go, oh my goodness, the fairies are such beautiful people. Oh my goodness, they took her away and... And she she lived there for, you know, 20 years, although it only felt like six months for her. And it was all beautiful and wonderful. He doesn't do that either. And he doesn't take the easy route in either direction. No. And he never really does. No. And I respect that. And I also think that that, again, is the others in that muddled middle 
gray and swirly, fuzzy realm of is this real or is this your brain? Mm-hmm. It's liminal, literally. It is. It is in between reality, you know, material reality and spiritual reality. And what's in between is something that resembles the truth, but none of his books have the truth. It's always shades of gray. It's always complicated. But at the same time, the story moves along such, you just keep reading it. Like, I have never had trouble reading his books. No, me neither. Um, You know, if you describe the plot, it doesn't sound like, you know, something super page turny. (laughs) You know, it's like, well, a, a girl disappeared and then comes back 20 years later and there's lots of fallout. You know, that's not an action-packed, you know, page-turner sounding thing, but it is. It is, if, if you like the way that people relate to each other and, and the way that society says that uh, madness is determined versus traditional ways madness is determined, mm-hmm. th- because that's in there, too. It's just so good. I, I, I guess I'm going to get all like stammery, blubbery. It's just so good. It is really good. His books are excellent. Um, and they're oh, and and children are really well written too. Yes, his kids. They're make not sense. all little precious good kids, but they're not little spoiled. You want to smack them, kids? Either <laughs> you know, they are real kids who who go back and forth between being hyperactive little pains in the butt and charming, adorable, and loving. And they have... You can tell he remembered what it was like being a child mm-hmm. because his the kids have those flashes of, like, scary maturity that children have, like, where they're suddenly yes. very bright for a second, and then they yes. go back to being like, I'm going to put a snail in my nose or not nobody actually (laughs) puts a snail in their nose but you know what i mean like they go back to being like that strange like you don't quite understand what's going through a kid's head you're just like what are you doing you're so why did you put a snail in your nose who would put a snail in your nose and the kid looks at you i don't know i don't know (laughs) it's Like, like You know, is there something following you around telling you to stick a snail in your nose? Oh, my God. And every child has done something like that. Every child. Um, and he he does have the children who, who have those flashes of brilliance and um, wisdom. But, you know, it's not like the trope of the wise child. No. It's wise beyond their years that makes you just want to just go blah. It's way more realistic than that. And uh, so there's there's children in the book and, you know, they do some things <laughs> that you're just like, darn it, kid, what are you doing? And then you find out later and it all wraps up at the end. It's And it doesn't wrap up neat and tidy, but it does come to a, a satisfying co- conclusion. Um, and that's that's the other thing I like about. Cram Joyce is 
it, he has satisfying conclusions, not tidy endings. Yeah. 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 He doesn't tie everything up in a bow. Like, I think the closest is probably the last one we're going to talk about. Yeah. But even then, it's no, not it, tied with a bow. No. Um, it's just the end of a chapter of this character's existence. Yeah. Um, and the limits of enchantment, which we're going to talk about next, um, I think is perhaps his most muddy book where you're not sure where the magic is or if it's magic or how far the, like it's in the title, how far does the magic go? Right. Um, where does it start and where, where does, does, it, it does it end? What are the boundaries? Um, and in The Limits of Enchantment, the main character is Fern Cullen. And she's raised by a wise woman in a small village. And she's raised by a legit wise woman in the old meaning of wise woman. You know, this is a woman who you come to for midwifery and for love spells and for wart charming and for advice and to get rid of unwanted pregnancies, you know, all of these things. Oh, tell, tell when it's set. Um, it's set in, 19, in the 1960s um, in a small village in Britain. Um, so this is the age of the national health. Not that Britain hasn't had an age of the national health for a long time, but this is really when the midwives were all being regulated and had to be go through examinations. And one of the big themes of that book is the struggle and tension between, you know, the old way of giving birth and taking care of women's health and the new way of midwifery. There's a scene um, where... Fern goes to a midwife training class and sees an ultrasound machine for the first time. Yeah. And it's described as a horrible great box, basically, with a bunch of buttons and dials, and it's really scary looking. And then you see, you know, the you get to see the ultrasound of the fetus, and she's, like, immediately connected to it. And so there's this, like, okay, well, technology can also forward magic. Mm -hmm. that's a theme but at the same time you know fern does a magical ritual with hallucinogens to try and find her way forward at a certain point in the book but even she doesn't totally understand what that what the message she gets from that means it's a very it's a very good book it's, I can't tell you like too much more without like ruining central parts of the plot. <laughs> right. Unfortunately. Um, but it's about Fern not really growing up and not really picking a side between magic and technology and the old way and the new way, but how she navigates through that tension mm -hmm. as herself. Also, there's a band of hippies that happens. Yes. That's another little <laughs> um, tidbit that kind of goes through all of the 
four books is the counterculture. Yes. A type of counterculture is in all of the stories. Um, and, and it's really interesting because he has no illusions. He does not make the counterculture the good guys. They are not always the good guys. They are people. Yes. They, they are both good and bad, and their philosophies and ideals are both good and bad. And ridiculous and noble. Just and like sometimes hilarious. Like, his characters are so real. Like, you would swear he knew these people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you would, if you, like... If you wandered about in the Midlands, you would run into these. I feel like I would run into somebody from one of his mm -hmm. books and just be like, oh, you're Fern or, oh, you're, you know, Martha. Yeah. Like, I, I know that I wouldn't because they're all set a long time ago, which it's not that long time, that long of a time ago, but it feels like it is. Well, that one was set in the 60s. That... I was born in the 60s, so I know it was it was pretty long ago, but yeah. <laughs> um interestingly um the midwife in this, the the woman who raised Fern and apprenticed Fern is another of one of his um character types that appears in all of the books and that's the wise woman the the witch the hag um most of the time she's kindly but not always mm -hmm. you know there's there's suspicion that she may not be all that good and again she is not the hero she is both good and bad she straddles that fence between darkness and light in the gray area of the liminal space that's that's where witches in my viewpoint belong that they belong in the space in between uh good and bad they they walk that path and uh i really appreciate that when he writes old women they are not horrifying by nature and they're nor, not loathly ladies yeah and nor are they like saccharine Oh, God, no. Yeah, they're not like, oh, honey, come here. Yeah, I'll make you tea. It's, no, it's not like that. It's, they're people. They, they, they sometimes are irascible and sometimes they're funny, bawdy, like my gram. <laughs> <laughs> they, have that, they have that gram sense of humor. They do. <laughs> and, um, you know, so she. And they're they, always strong. Women, they're always yes. tough old biddies. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Very independent. And most of them don't trust men all that much. Mm -hmm. That's another little thread that goes through all of these stories. I imagine if one was a midwife, one would not trust men that much. No. Like, because no. you would see... No offense to any men listening, but you would see, like... If you are in, if you are an old woman who is still a midwife in the 60s, you have seen what happens when social convention doesn't allow for premarital sex. Yeah. 
and you would see how women and men and young women and young men in particular would get each other into such difficulties. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. because of that. And I suspect you have to some extent, because you deal primarily with the women involved and you see their pain and their struggle with childbirth and child rearing, you might give a bit of a side eye to the men who've caused the condition in part. Oh, yeah. And and in this book in particular, when when the old woman speaks, she talks about that. You know, she she's she's pretty clear about why she's like mm, men. You know, she she's she's not uh, she's not uh, you don't have any sort of uh, question about what she thinks. She will tell you. Um, now she will obf obfuscate as well. That's another thing I remember from it is she mm -hmm. would, she would talk in sort of riddly oh, yes. kinds of answers. Yes, um, there is there's a moment where a folklorist comes to call on her. Oh, I forgot about this. And she sends him away with elderberry syrup to unbind his bowels, <laughs> which I'm like, all right. <laughs> That's the <laughs> nicest way to tell somebody they're full of shit I've ever heard. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I love that. Um, um, she's she's a trip. She really is. Yeah, she's she's fun. Now Morgana has read this book more times than I have. Um. So she remembers it better than I do. But I now that she mentioned the the elderberry, it, yeah, that was really, really funny. Uh, so, and that, that book came out in 2005. Okay, so the oldest book we're going to talk about came out in 1992. So it was one of his earlier novels. And I've read this one more times than Morgana. So... I'll probably end up, you know, dominating the discussion over here. Um, it's called Dark Sister. And the main character in it is named Maggie Saunders. And she is a housewife. It is set in the 1970s. Sort of a 1970s, mid-1970s era. I don't remember if they give an exact date. But it's, it's somewhere in there. And her husband na husband's name is Alex, which means his name is Alex Saunders, which is a little Easter egg because one of the uh, people seminal in the creation of modern Wicca was a man named Alex Saunders, who started his own tradition after Gerald Gardner started the Gardnerian tradition. Well, Alex started his own tradition, um, which is called Alexandrian Wicca. And uh, it really wasn't that different from, from uh, Gardnerian Wicca, except that swords, instead of representing air, represented fire, and vice versa. And the wand that represented air rep in uh, Alexandrian represented fire in uh, 
Gardnerian. That's really functionally about the only difference. They both worked in their covens naked, which I still wonder about that in, you know, England. I guess you have to prove how much you want to be a witch by freezing your parts off. But <laughs> I'm I'm getting distracted here. Um, so. I imagine people are used to it. I don't know. I, like, I Gardner, don't think Gardner would... practiced nudism anyway. So like he was hanging out in his back garden all the time. Yeah, this so is true. I imagine he was weathered. So yeah. His bits were <laughs> weatherproofed by that point. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing. I mean, he got a lot of his ideas from when he was in Salon in the in the army. But yeah, uh, Salon's a lot warmer. Last <laughs> I checked. Uh, so anyway. Uh, Dark Sister, basically what happens is the main characters, Alex and Maggie, have two kids, Amy and Sam, and they're living in this drafty old Victorian house. And uh, Alex is working at the local uh, cathedral, and he's, he's taking part in his head of an archaeological dig at the cathedral. So he's, he's, he's teaching through the university. He has students with him. He does all the things. And he's over there digging up all sorts of interesting stuff. Well, when he's not doing that, they also are redoing bits of their house, which is old and drafty and about to fall down. So... They decide that they would like a real fireplace, which they know they have behind the fake fireplace that's in their living room. So they they pull the fake one apart and pull it off, and then they find this stone and iron fireplace that's really beautiful. Of course, all the soot in the world comes down, and then something else falls down with it, and it's a dead blackbird, a mummified blackbird. And everybody's like, ah! nasty and then the i think it is yes maggie is the one who kind of sticks her head in and looks up to see if there was a nest or something and you know because they need to get it cleaned out and she sees something and there's a little shelf and she pulls out what's on the little shelf and it's a diary now Alex gets all excited because this is some historical thing and he's an archaeologist who likes to dig stuff up because, you know, that's what you do if you're an archaeologist. And so he takes it from her and and he looks at it and he's like, oh, it's only about 100 years old or whatever. It's interesting. It has herbal medicine in it and stuff. And and then, you know, he he gives it back to her and she starts delving into it. Um. She had wanted to go back to college and get a degree in psychology. And Alex had poo-pooed that idea because they needed her. He needed her to stay home and take care of the kids. So that's also a piece of information that is necessary. So she gets this book and she gets fascinated with it. And she starts gathering herbs and trying out some of the the tinctures and potions and spells that are in it. And, uh, well, they work. And I can't go too much farther except to say that 
she eventually finds a shop in the town that has herbs and stuff. And it's, it, it's, it's like a new age shop kind of place. And the man who runs it is a ritual magician. And he, he tells her about this woman who lives near her and, and her name is old Liz. And here she is. That's the hag, which the old lady, the, um, you know, old wise woman of the, the area. And she goes to Liz to learn things. And Liz doesn't really like her that much. And so, but Liz still teaches her a few things. The shopkeeper teaches her some things. And then things just go, it just starts rolling. Out of control. All out of control. All kinds of things. There. Mistakes were made. <laughs> you know, bad choices were 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 made. It's not as bad as practical magic, but it's still pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. They they did not raise someone from the dead, so there's that. Necromancy is just not a good look. Yeah, on literal necromancy is never a good thing, um, but almost that bad. Um, and. Uh, it, it is basically about how the past affects the future and the present or how, how the past affects the present because she's looking at a diary about that was written by a, another witch several generations back and how she was affected. And then she begins, then Maggie begins to be affected by what's happening and, you know, if her husband had just let her go back to college, none of this would have happened. <laughs> you know, if he hadn't been so insistent that they needed free child care, nothing terrible would have occurred. But all of these terrible things start occurring. And there's there's lots of magic in this. And, and some of it you go, now, was this magic or was this a hallucinogen? Or was it both? Um, and then, then the kids start seeing weird things happening and you're like, okay, is that child like imagination or is this a real thing? She ends up having to be sent to a psychiatrist again. So here we go. Here we go with the psychiatrist talking with the woman who's having these weird things happen. So you go, well, is it real or is it psychosis? And it's a very, this is the darkest of all of the books that we're talking about here. And it's, it's probably the closest to what um, is called folk horror as a genre. Um, because the folklore in this, it's not hidden. It's not, it's not subtle. It's right there. It's in your face. Um, and the magic is very easily believed. You know, you see there there are fairies, there are ghosts, but they're not the typical fairies and ghosts. Um, and and there is necromancy, but it's not like splendidly uh, CGI necromancy like in Practical Magic. It, not the book, but the movie. Uh, the book is very different from the, the movie. The book is very different from the movie. Yeah, it's, it's very, very, very different. So... It's just, it's a really good book, but again, you have all these questions. You go, did this happen? Was it 
a psychological problem? Was, was she having issues? Was it between her and Alex? Was it a power, you know, a power play, tr- her trying to take back power, him insisting upon um, taking her power from her? What's what's happening here? Yeah. And uh, Liz is involved, the old uh, wise woman, and I mean, she's kind of of the opinion that all of them are a little bit crazy. Um, she she's she's not very um, complimentary to any of the other adults. Uh, in fact, she says that they don't really act like adults. Uh, so it's it's really really good, and the the witch lore that is in it is well researched. And the archaeology is well researched, and the herbalism is presented as accurately as you know. There's flying ointments. No, she doesn't take to the air like the movie The Witch at the end. No, she does not do that. But it's still a flying ointment, and it still causes a change in consciousness. So it's a really, really good book. I highly recommend it. Um, and it's great, great fun, but it's also the darkest. You know, there's there's just lots of lots of creepiness to it. All I think right. you only read it one time. Did, I didn't did. You? I, I and it was, was when you were in high school. It was. I was very wee. <laughs> yeah, because high school so, is now long ago that I consider high school me being wee. <laughs> yeah, you. You were you were a little shorter. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, okay. Facts of life. Yes. Now we have come to our favorite. Our very favorite. Um, this one came out in two thousand and two, and I read it the year that it came out, and then the I, first time. I believe you pretty much finished it and handed it to me immediately. Yes. Like, I, yes. I recall seeing you on the couch in Pataskala just finishing it. And I was like, what are you reading? And you were like, this is awesome. You, you're going to read it when I'm done. And Yeah, I knew you'd like it. I, I was still home with you when you finished it. And you straight up were just like here. <laughs> and like, Yeah, take it with, with you. I'll buy another copy. And yeah. she was right. It is one of my favorite books of all time, which is why we saved it for last. Because we knew if we started with it, we would go on for way too long. And we'd never get to the other, other books. ones. So <laughs> we saved it for last. Um, how many times have you read it? Like 10. Yeah. I, it's one of those is, books I'll reread about every year and a half. Yeah. It's, it's a comfort book. It, it, for whatever reason, I find it very comforting. So if I'm like... Even though like just bad stuff happens in it a lot. Oh, Yeah. But lots of good stuff happens, yes. too. All right. You you start in okay. and uh, tell the peeps why you, why you like it so much. So I love The Facts of Life because it reminds me of my family. Um, even though I do not have six sisters. <laughs> no. And, you know, we're not British. And it's the wrong time period. But the way that everybody rallies for support 
Mm -hmm. at every important moment, whenever anybody needs help, reminds me of my family. And the strong matriarchal component reminds me of my family because I was raised by my grandmothers more than my father. And then my mother more than anybody. So like, and I have some, I, I have one very good, two very good grandfathers in my life, but our family is somewhat matriarchal, I suppose, in some ways. No, I think it is. Um, I think it is. I think we're just louder yeah. than all the boys. Well, that's <laughs> kind of how it happens in, in the book. In yeah, because Arthur Vine stops uh, talking. He's, he's the father of these seven girls. And his um, wife is Martha, and Martha rules from her chair in front of the coal fire with her pipe and her one glass of stout a day, and she bangs on the coal scuttle with a poker to get people's attention. Yes, yes. Like a judge. Yes. And, uh, yeah, Arthur, at, at some point after all seven of the girls are born just is like, I, I give up. <laughs> just, and that reminds me of my father hiding behind his, his newspaper, not saying anything for long periods of time. That reminds me very much of my father. And it, um, it does remind me of Poppy. Yeah. Um, and there are, <laughs> there's so much, the, I'm just going to very quickly name off some of the magical and other things that happen in this book. The twins, the twin sisters, Ina and Evelyn, are members of the spiritualist church in town. Which is Coventry. Uh, it's set in um, World War II Coventry during the Blitz and Afterwards. post-war Coventry. Um. <clears throat> Cassie, who I the the main character is supposedly Cassie's son Frank, who right. is illegitimate. But really, the main character is the family. Yeah, I yeah. think and because it's told through different people's eyes at various points in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the basic gist of it is Cassie is the youngest. And I believe it is stated in the book that Cassie has bipolar disorder. Yes. Which my girl right there, we share that diagnosis. So I really identified with her as a child before I was diagnosed because I recognized something there. But now that I've been diagnosed for years, I'm just like, yeah. Um, And Cassie is described as Cassie is wild. Cassie is fae. Mm-hmm. Cassie is the last person who should have a child. Yes. And she's the seventh daughter. Yes. Which is magically significant. The, yes. And yes. folklorically and fairy tale-y significant. Yeah. Um, and basically what happens is Cassie falls pregnant And it's the second time and the first time they gave the baby away. And so they organized to give the baby away again. And Cassie's not having it. (laughs) 
Like she goes, she goes to meet the woman she's going to give the baby away to and golden light intersects on her child from the church spires. And she she says, nope. (laughs) And she jumps through the light and goes home. Yeah. Yeah. Where all of her sisters are. None of their husbands are with them because this is woman's work. Right. The husbands of some of the of the women, because not all of them are married, um, but the husbands play a big part too. Yeah. But it's understood that the vines, because they're they're Arthur and Martha Vine, the vines are that odd, slightly odd family, which yes. we have always been. We have always been the slightly odd family. Yes. Interestingly, I just noticed that their last name is Vine and the protagonist in the last one we talked about, uh, The Limits of Enchantment, is Fern. Yes. I never thought of it that way. And then there's Raggy Annie because there's the the slightly witchy midwife in this book too. Um, And she has a great name, Raggy Annie. She's called that because she takes, she has this bag of, of, old pieces of cloth that she carries with her when she goes to deliver babies and she hands it to the husband of the woman who's giving birth and tells him to go start the kettle boiling and boil a big pot of water and then put the rags in the big pot of water and keep the kettle going for when she needs hot water the the rags don't do anything they the just give him something him busy to, <laughs> the, the rags are to keep him busy so he doesn't keep tapping at the door asking her how things are going. And panicking. And freaking out. <clears throat> um, so Raggy Annie is the awesome witch of this story. Um, and she's my favorite of all of them. There are many witches in this story. True. But she's the one that's the... The, the, the most archetypically witchy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Martha, the matriarch of the Vine clan, um, well, Martha hears a knock at the door because ghosts knock on her door all the time. Yes. Yes. And from this book is actually one of the ways I learned to get rid of things that I was seeing, which is you swear at them. Yes. Yes. And that is actually from folklore. And that's what Martha does when she's bothered too much by the ghosts. She'll swear at them until they go away. Yes. She'll tell them to bugger off. Yes. Yes. And and she she has the sight. Cassie is has the sight and is Fay and is bipolar, has bipolar disorder. Um, and then there are the two spiritualists, Evelyn and Ina. Then there's Aida, who's married to the town undertaker, undertaker. Gordon. Who and and he he has he is the way he's physically described. I is feel so just, bad for Gordon. He he's not an attractive man, but he's a nice man. But he's kind. And you can see why Ada loves him because mm-hmm. he's the nicest man. He looks scary as all hell, but yeah. he's a very sweet man. He's just a bit awkward. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Olive, who marries a grocer. Yep, who marries the greengrocer, <laughs> William, who went to and, went to war and was yeah. at Dunkirk. And then there's Una, who married a farmer. Tom. And then there's Beatrice, who's the next to the youngest. And she's a firebrand. And she's a firebrand revolutionary who went to Oxford. Yeah. And... She eventually, under grave protest, marries Bernard, who's a fellow revolutionary and firebrand. Yes, and she gets involved in politics. And then there's Cassie. And Cassie, as we said, has the sight and, and, you know, she, she predicts things, but she doesn't know that that's what she's doing. Yeah. Um, She predicts things. She sees the dead. She can meddle with seances. Yes. Yes. So what ends up happening, she comes back with this baby that she was supposed to adopt out, give to another woman. It, it's all very hush-hush, under-the-table stuff. No actual adoption agencies involved. Um, but she, the, the woman is late, so she just she waits 15 minutes and then decides, no, I'm not doing this. I can't do this. And she goes home. And then when she goes home, all of the women, all of them are like chattering and jabbering about, you can't do this. And this is terrible. And you should have waited longer. And oh, my God, you know, this is why you can't have a baby and be a mother and blah, 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 blah. Until Martha just whacks the coal scuttle with her her uh, walking stick and tells him to hush and she takes the baby in her hands and she looks at him and she says you know sometimes people are late for a reason i think what we should do is share custody with him yeah she take turns with him yep and so she determined and all of the women freak out again except cassie Who's Except just Cassie. like, okay, I don't have to give my baby up. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> and she says, okay, so I don't expect any of you to take the burden of the nappy years when he's in diapers. No. Cassie and I will take care of him at home. I'm strong enough to, to deal with an infant. And then we will pass him around. And he'll stay for a few years with each of his aunts. And that's the plot of the story. And <laughs> all kinds of things happen. So many things. Like, and it's so well written. It's, it's supposed to be a coming of age story for Frank, but it's a coming of age story for the whole family. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And it doesn't do Every that really character. annoying coming of age story where like you wander about in the woods and you find a severed ear and like <laughs> No, you don't find a severed ear. <laughs> you know, it's it's not like the weird, like annoying yeah. ones. It's Yeah. It's much more it's still weird. It's very weird. It's very weird. It's there are a lot there's corpses. 
There's, there's all kinds there's of things. strange, very strange. You have to read it because if we tell you a bunch of the cool stuff that happens in this book, you're going to be like, well, you've just ruined this whole book. But there's yeah, a doppelganger. There's a there's a legit there, doppelganger at one point. There, there's it, and it's all so well written. Um and and the language is beautiful. I mean, you get to see the Coventry Blitz. You which is horrific, but also the way he writes it it's beautiful. Every character grows. Yeah. Every last character. And and it's not that huge of a book. And there's a whole, I mean, there's seven sisters and a mom and a dad and a baby. And four and husbands. Husbands. And Raggy Annie. And yet all of them grow. I mean, it's it's amazing. And everybody is as real as your next door neighbor. Like, you know, these people as yeah. you read, you will, you will feel that, you know, these people. And sometimes it's funny as it's all hilarious. Hell. And sometimes there are it's times really you laugh sad. out loud. Oh yeah. Sometimes it's heartbreaking. I mean, you can't set something in world war two and not have there be heartbreaking moments. Um, but there's also truly hilarious moments that make everything very real. And there's a little bit of a wise woman moment in it. Yeah. Yeah. There's just That's just so snuck much. in into the middle. Yeah. Between there is. William and Olive. And um, there's... It, it, oh, it's so good. And and there's mythology in it and folklore. The, the story of Coventry, of course, is takes place place in here the three cathedrals of coventry and lady godiva is and in lady it. godiva is very much in it <laughs> <laughs> and it's just beautiful it's it's just beautifully written um, and it it doesn't sound like a speculative fiction or fantasy fiction or magical realism book at all but it is it is all of those things. And he won several awards for it. Um, he won the Le Grand Prix de la... Uh, the, the, Grand, the French one, the French fantasy I love novel. that you're just like, I'm giving up. No. I can't read my own notes. <laughs> That's what it was. Um, but it also won the, the World uh, Fantasy Award as well. And then another one that I can't read. But... He won it. Um, <laughs> it's just so good. And you can see that his description in this one particularly is very cinematic. You can see the events that he's depicting yeah. very, very clearly. You really can. And it's it it has all of his themes. It has... The wise woman matriarch. It has death and birth and life. It has magic as is it magic, is it not? It has... Which the answer in this book is yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, it but is But how magic. much is it is in there too? Like some of them, in the limits of enchantment, the answer is yes, there's some magic, but what is magic? You know, technology mm -hmm. can also be magic. Love can be magic. In this book, they're like, yeah, no, dead people are talking to people. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it runs in the family. Yeah, that's the other thing is in this case, you see that thread all woven through the family and it comes out more strongly in, in three of the characters than the others, but the others are still touched by it. Yes. Um, and it also deals with madness, you know? Yeah. At one point, Cassie is put away. And yeah. my favorite scene is when Martha goes and gets her out. <laughs> yes. Yes. And is like, oh, no, you will never deal with any of my children again. Yeah. She she pretty much grabs her stick and has uh, her son-in-law drive them. And she breaks her out of the, the um, mental hospital and, you know, just pushes her in the wheelchair to the car and the doctors are running behind her going, ma'am, you can't do that. And she's like, oh, yes, I can. <laughs> and I am doing it right now. You're a monster. <laughs> Leave my child alone. Um, which and, I think this it, is one of the few books in which the family goes down on the side of, no, psychiatry is not the answer right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in all of the other books that we've talked about, the, it's it's much more balanced. The the yeah, the psychiatrist might be wrong, but might be right, but might be wrong, but might be right. Or maybe it is a little bit crazy, you know. No, in this one, no. No. Martha decrees that no, you're treating my daughter horribly and she's she's not like herself at all and I'm getting her out because this is this is she's this is bullshit. It, you know, it looks like her soul's taken away, is yeah. how Martha put it, because yeah. they put her on um, electroconvulsive therapy. Yeah, and of course, this is at the beginning of uh, electroconvulsive therapy, so they weren't so great at it, and yeah, it wasn't helping the the girl either. So, but um, there's there's that theme there's everything is in this book and frank is like a wise child sometimes but at other times he's just a kid peeing in the snow and writing his name because that's what you do if you're a boy and there's snow and you you're living on the farm with your uncle tom that's what you do yeah you don't bother running to the outhouse or running into the toilet like, it's just, it's a really good book. I, I would start, if you like horror, start with Dark Sister. Yeah. If you like fairy tales, start with some kind of fairy tale. If you like weird novels that you don't expect to be as jam-packed with bizarre as you expect i would start with the facts of life yeah it's every person i've given that novel to to read has loved it and and you know i've given it to a wide variety of people including my father-in-law who you know i've been at his house and so i've read his his uh modern literary novels when you know i run out of stuff to read we're visiting so you know it's because of him i i read um what is it the story of pie or whatever the life of the, pie the life of pie i hated that book god it was awful um but and everybody loves it 
Um, but I also read Angela's Ashes and uh, another one, Bastard Out of Carolina. And boy, that one was depressing. Um, but after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to give him one of my literary fiction books. And, and he, he loved it. So, and it, it didn't make him cry like Bastard Out of Carolina did to me, which was, <laughs> which was really, really sad. Um, but it is still a good book. Life of Pi, no. Not so much. <laughs> you will die on no. that hill. I will die on that hill. I hated it. Um, and I don't know how to describe The Limits of Enchantment. That one... <sighs> I would say that one's more suspense. Yeah, you know, if you like Call the Midwife, you'll like it. You'll like Limits of Enchantment. That's, I think that's the... Yeah, that's, the, you're right. Because it's, it's, you know, Call the Midwife is now in the 1960s, in, the, in its current season. I think, I think that if you like that, and you understand the the implications of everything that's going on in Call the Midwife where they're changing the national health and changing how women give birth in Great Britain and all of that, you'll you'll really like Limits of Enchantment. I think so, too. Right. Which, by the way, I think the title, he kind of played off of The Uses of Enchantment by Bruno Bettelheim, which is Probably. about fairy tales. Probably. Which is why half the time I call it the uses of enchantment because <laughs> I'm getting old and, and my brain is just going, ah, it's, it's this one, it's that one. Yeah, Can't read your own handwriting. Can't, can't read. My, I've never been able to read my own handwriting. That's because I your handwriting is either very tidy or very untidy. It was very untidy. There is no <laughs> in between. It's true. It's also because half the time you write in like half cursive. Yes, and that's what I did. And yeah. And it was also near the the bottom of the page so which is when scrunched. my hand always goes all the yeah, it gets all like squished up and and it's terrible. Well. So here we are. Um you have a new author, you have an assignment, go read his books. Um oh, and and one other thing, Life and Death. I think it's in all of them. But it is particularly in the facts of life. Yes, it, which in a makes way it, sense. <laughs> it should be called the facts of life and death. Yes, it really should. In a way, yeah. So it's just really, really good. Um, so go out, read these books, enjoy them. Um, and th all of his other books that I've read are good. We just did not go into each and every one of them. There's because a lot of them, and there's. Tons. We didn't want to just talk at you about one author for three hours. <laughs> Which we could do very, very easily. We will try not to, generally. <laughs> we will attempt. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll probably do more books later. Because Off and on. In dribs we're book and drabs. nerds. Here yeah. and there. We're book nerds. We are nerds. So, yep. All right. Thanks for listening. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you 
and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. 